The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente. I'm joined by my broadcast partner, Mr. Tyler Ball. Tyler, what's going on, man? Hey, what's happening? It's going to be a going to be a very interesting weekend. Uh, the Final Four is in full effect. Uh, on next Monday, we will have another national champion. And you know, quite honestly, uh, I'm just ready to see the games because it's going to be some interesting matchups. Right, right. We'll jump right into it. But before we get into it, just want everybody to know that Know the Score is on the CSPN network. You can find us at www.cspn.us. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and any places you download podcasts. Podcast Attic, your podcast uh, app on your um, iPhones, any apps that you use for Android, you can find us. Just do a search for Know the Score or CSPN. So, like you said, the Final Four is in full effect out in Glendale, Arizona, the home of the Arizona Cardinals. They're going to roll the grass out, put the basketball court in, and they're going to have the biggest game in college basketball of the century for this year. So, we're going to talk about what happened last weekend first, as Gonzaga has made the jump from Cinderella to the Final Four. It's been a 20-year journey for Mark Few as they came in as the ultimate Cinderella this journey has included many players, many teams that looked like they were good enough, always got hung up in the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight. I know a lot of people remember Adam Morrison crying on the court his senior year when they got eliminated in the Elite Eight. So talk about their win over a game Xavier team. Uh, they had a fantastic uh, weekend the Thursday night. Uh, they won their game uh, kind of in a shocking fashion. So just what were your thoughts on Gonzaga advancing finally to the Final Four? A long time coming, as you said, for Mark Few. Um, just uh, this is a team that just beats you because um, I'm going to quote Frank Martin earlier this week. He said that, first of all, they're old. They're a team that has been there before from a, from a player, so to speak. I mean, they haven't been to the final four, but they are a, an experienced lot. They're probably the most experienced team in in this tournament. Uh there, they can beat you on the inside. They got that big, uh, that big center who's um, uh, very, very effective. Uh, you know, it's funny. Of course, Weber called him Action Bronson, but <laughs> because of the beard. But he's he's a space eater. Kind of reminds me of Big Country Bryant Reeves uh, from back in the day, uh, former Oklahoma State Vancouver Grizzlies center. He gives me that kind of look where he's just hard to get around. Uh, they're effective. Um, the guards are very effective. Um, Nigel Williams Goss was the big the uh, big transfer, who's been their their emotional leader. Uh, it got a, uh, another guard, Matthews, who can who's made big shot after big shot uh, in the tournament, particularly against um, particularly in these last two games. Uh, they're just a solid team uh, with veteran leadership, and, and usually that's what gets it done down to the final four um your your veteran teams make the make the plays down the stretch generally your teams that have younger athletes tend to try to do it all themselves and not too many have been 
totally successful with the exception of a few such as maybe a Michael Jordan or a Carmelo Anthony in the championship games. Um, right. That's definitely they, they, I would consider them and I consider them favorites. Um I, I actually consider them the favorite even over North Carolina right now because I uh you've you've talked about it over the last two episodes. North Carolina has a has a problem when they do not shoot the three-pointer well. Gonzaga has more options at the three-point line than Carolina does. Carolina does have a lot of size inside, but they do not from the perimeter. They, they're going to have problems. Possibly. Uh, we're going to move on from Gonzaga to Oregon. Oregon survived Michigan, which is a whole point of the tournament, surviving advance. Looked like uh, Walton Jr. was going to put him out on a last second three, but it came up short. Oregon advanced. They got to play Kansas, who went on a fantastic run to beat Purdue. Um, I looked up at one point in the game. It was 58-54. to 54. I looked up again. It was like 74-58. to 58, And I was like, oh my goodness, what in the world just happened? Uh, Kansas went on a three-point barrage, so they advanced. And it was Oregon who prevailed. They one in a rather convincing fashion. And Bill Self is now two and seven in the Elite Eight as a number one seed. So is it time for, you know, Kansas to start questioning what they're doing with Bill Self and how they're approaching the tournament or at least how they approach the Elite Eight? I don't know because Self Self gets players. And, and and you know, I mean actually we're going to discuss a little bit later. He's got two guys he got the national player of the year on his team and another uh all American. So his players isn't the problem. I think that sometimes uh, you run into bad matchups, you run into bad, bad luck. Um, surely, surely in those seven losses, he's had some bad luck. However, is it the style of play that puts them into awkward situations at times in matchups? Um, I don't know. Why, why would you say that their style of play puts them in any more awkward situations than Carolina does? Because here's the thing with Carolina: the difference between the two teams is that uh, while Carolina has had Carolina has actually had better big men over self senior, Roy, Roy Williams has had much better big men. Kansas has had had some elite guards. They've had a few elite swing men. But they have not had the size inside or the rebounding. Uh, in order to make up for it, they like to get you up and down the court. Look at last year. Look at Villanova. What did Villanova do? Villanova took the running game out from Kansas and by slowing it down with Archie Dinako and you know knocking down perimeter shots. That's how Villanova plays, which is a perfect counter to Kansas's uh, ability to make uh, to make things attract me. So the question is, can Self get a – can he get a big man that he can dump the ball down to and score in the half court? Uh, traditionally, he hasn't had that, and I think teams take advantage of it. And, you know, when they tried to score inside, of course, uh, they ran into literally a brick wall in Oregon. Right. Um, Mr. Jordan Bell, uh, yeah. hello to the national scene. Yeah. Uh, boy to as well. Yeah, they, uh, you know, made themselves known and announced that they were here uh, as they won in their celebration and said, don't sleep on the West Coast. And, they were, you know, they opened some eyes and they planned to open some more at the Final Four. They said they weren't done. So 
yeah, Oregon looks like, you know, a, a, a team that was really scrappy. In one of my brackets, I, I did pick them to go to the Final Four. Um, I, I just felt that they just had that, you know, Dylan Brooks, even though they lost their other big men, guard play and somebody who can get hot and stay hot is um, is real valuable in this tournament, and he's one of those players. And we'll move on to the Cinderella's of the Final Four, the South Carolina Gamecocks. As they defeated the Florida Gators in the Elite Eight to move on to advance to Glendale, Frank Martin has got his team in the Final Four for the first time, and Gonzaga, who are first-time participants in the Final Four. Tyler, I want to pose this question to you. South Carolina, they clearly have the best defense. Their defense has come through three games in a row in the second half, allowed their offense to excel in the open court, get a lot of fast breaks, transition points, things that they weren't doing during their regular season. Can they be the Villanova of this tournament from 1985? The, the one who clearly doesn't belong, but they have the best defense and can somehow shock the basketball world this weekend. My answer straight up is probably going to be no, because there are two bad matchups for them. Either team on the other side of their bracket is not a good matchup for them. Um, because, be quite honestly, those teams can rebound. The key to beating South Carolina is that you have to be, you have to beat them on the boards. Um, you can I don't know if if these two particular teams can control Thornwell. I don't know if Gazaka can control um, Thornwell, uh, their leading scorer, who's dropping about twenty five a game in the tournament. But Gazaka does have size. Gazaka does. Gazaka likes pace. So. The question is, can can Gonzaga make enough layups, and they can they execute in the half court, or can Gonzaga right? They have to execute the half court in order to to keep South Carolina from running. I think Gonzaga can do that personally. I think those guys can get to the basket. I think they can hit perimeter shots from three. Um, you know, South Carolina gave up a lot of open looks to Florida, a lot of open looks, and Gonzaga generally generally knocks those down. Uh, they're going to have to get a great performance from Thornwell. And Thornwell's going to have to have to defend, too, because Nigel Williams-Goss is a great scorer in his own right. So I think the added effort, and on top of that, Thornwell is not at 100% right now because he's, he actually missed practice today as he's uh, under the weather. They think, he, they think he's got a bug and maybe nothing serious, but he's not going to be 100%. So that plus the pressure of having to guard Williams-Goss is going to be very, very interesting to see. But yeah, and then then uh, that change of uh, atmosphere, that change of atmosphere and climate does do strange things to people's health. It does, um, and and also you got to look at you got to remember too, death perception is going to be at a premium, shooting wise, for right. uh, for you know, and this and this may work in South Carolina's favor, but you know, playing yeah, right. in, in a in a cat, you're going from playing in a small arena to a cavern, playing in. Uh, U Phoenix Stadium. Right. Hopefully, they can put enough people close enough to the baskets where you know it can help with the debt perception. It, it didn't work well. Stuff. It did not work well in Houston, um, and it surely did work well in uh, 2011, uh, famously where uh, you had probably one of the worst national championship games in history with uh, Butler and UConn. So right. playing in arenas does not have a good track record. In, the in, best place in, for it to be, if you're going to have it at a big place like that, is the Superdome. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's, it's a perfect place. Yes. And exciting games. There's been, you know, mostly good scoring games. The final four has been there. So I don't know why they, you know, want to try to, you know, like you said, go to someplace that's so big, but you know, it's all about the money, the money, money, mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. So our final participant in this year's final four in the battle of the blue bloods, the North Carolina Tar Heels were successful and an ending for the ages as there were multiple lead changes in the last 13 seconds of the basketball game, missed free throws as often happens in college basketball leads to madness as Justin Jackson missed a free throw that would have put Tar Heels up by four instead left the door cracked Malik Monk kicked it down hit a three on the other end seven seconds left Theo Pinson aka OC Jones as I like to call him uh, comes across half court with the ball does a dribble handoff to Luke May he no hesitation fires it up and shoots the ball and goes in point three seconds to go Kentucky throws an inbounds pass away and Carolina just inbounds the ball and they win Amazing finish um, to a game that looked like Kentucky had in hand with about three and a half minutes left. Um, full disclosure, since I'm a part-time wrestling journalist hint, hint, in my uh, other life sometimes, I was sitting at a, at the PNC Arena at the SmackDown event and watching, not really, the opening match, listening to the game on my phone, going through all the nerves and emotions. So, yeah, that was um, quite a roller coaster that uh, I, I got taken on listening to that on the radio. So, Tyler, first, your thoughts on just the, the game itself, just, you know, the early foul trouble that the Kentucky guys got into, Cal's decision to sit them for a majority of the first half and then unleash them in the second half. The role players, like I said, Luke May with the game winner, career weekend, let alone a career game. Uh, Humphreys as well on the Kentucky side. Just, you know, players stepping up, making plays. Uh, Joel Berry twists his other ankle out there, you know, getting it out. Justin Jackson, you know, pitching in, being an All-American uh, that, that he is. Uh, just talk about the game itself before we move on to the matchups in the Final Four. Um, it's very simple. Um, it's just a, a battle of two two of the best coaches in the game making decisions that they were obviously prepared for. Um, you know, you, you don't expect contributions from guys like a new Luke may, but then again, they've, they've been there. I mean, may may has stepped up uh, at several times during the season where he's needed. So has Humphreys, um, you know, in a time where you've got, and this is the thing about Kyle too. When, when you have young players, young players may not, recognize how the game is being officiated, which leads to fouls. Um, and miraculously, fouls have not been an issue in the Kentucky era with Calipari. It's been very rare. Um, he, he, he tells his guys to play through it, and generally they, they have. Um, but in this game, uh, bottom line, they didn't get the performance that they needed in the second half from Monk. Uh, you know, despite the last second heroics, it just wasn't enough. Um, I personally think that Monk, I, 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 despite the two game, the two regular seat, the two games that they've had, I personally think Lonzo Ball is the best player in the draft. I also think that Malik Monk is a little bit is going to be a better pro than De'Aaron Fox. You know, Fox outplayed Ball both in both meetings, but Fox still has a way to go. Um, Ball is ready now. Monk is ready now. I'm in and total for the NBA. 
I'm in total disagreement <laughs> with you. I don't know. Well, you know, different game, you know, different way that the game is played in the NBA, different way that the court is used. Mm-hmm. But to me, De'Aaron Fox poses a bigger threat to me than than, Fox, than Monk does because I think that long term. Well, well, well. I, okay, I mean, yeah, let me, let yeah. Me, I think. Let me rephrase that. Long term. Yes, because long-term. I think yeah. that. Okay, I got I got you on that. Yeah, me, I just I just me think personally. Uh, Monk is too streaky. He's a he's a fading type of player. Like he he can go in and out. Fox to me is always a threat because he can blow by you at any time and he can, you know, he's a willing passer. To me, it seems like Monk gets the ball, Monk shoots the ball. Where Fox is willing to to create and make it happen for somebody else and and if it's not there, okay, I'm going to go get it. Here's the thing, though, and this is why I say right away, Monk can help somebody right now because that's going to be what positions need. Look at your your playoff team in the NBA. If if Monk manages to to drop down in the draft to a team or a team trades trades up to a playoff team, the biggest weakness that most teams have are your typical six seven six 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 wing guys who can get up and shoot the ball. They don't necessarily have to require two dribbles to get their shot off. Monk actually can get his shot off anywhere on the on the floor in the offense, which is why I think he can help a team right now. I think Fox still needs to develop a little bit. I think Fox still needs to be more consistent on his jumper. I think that uh I think that Fox's speed if Fox can develop like a Isaiah Thomas, yes, he'll have a he'll have a, a, a long career. I agree with that. He mm-hmm. may trend even longer. But as far as right now, right away, I would put I would put uh Unk then Fox. Okay. As far as my, as far as my top three guys. Uh, now we'll move into the final. We're going to move into this. Okay, we've got South Carolina versus Gonzaga. I know you touched on that a little bit earlier. You feel that Gonzaga's execution may be the uh, cure for South Carolina's you know, hard-nosed defense as they won't be able to run as much as they have to take the ball consistently out of the basket. Now let's get your Dorn thoughts well, on Dorn Wells. Dorn Wells under the weather, and that is that is vital. Because you right. have to get enough, you may have to find another score, and I don't know if South Carolina can do that. Okay, and now the second matchup: North Carolina and Oregon. What are your thoughts on on how that's going to play out? This is shaping up like a track meet. Um, get up and down the floor. How Carolina likes it. Oregon can actually play the game. Uh, they actually beat UCLA away. Um, they even control the tempo against UCLA. So. This has the potential to be a game in the high 70s, maybe in the 80s, um, and quite possibly it may defend on, it may depend on Carolina having to make free throws down the stretch. Uh, you know, the guys going to have the ball, big guys are going to have the ball in their hands, getting rebounds. They're going to get fouled. They're going to have to make free throws. Mm-hmm. So I see this already coming. I see mm-hmm. them focusing on Justin Jackson, trying to get him, get the ball away from him, particularly in the last four minutes. So Barry, Barry, if Barry is okay, then they'll be fine. But Oregon tends to make pet post make post entry passes difficult. So my thing is, you're gonna have to get some shots up and hope you grab grab the rebounds and keep Oregon from running. And as long as you do that, Carolina will be in good shape. Mm-hmm. I, I say Carolina, Carolina, 80, 
Carolina 86, Oregon 82. The, 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 I've said it at the beginning of the tournament, and it's still true. The only way I really see Carolina losing is if they get totally bombed out from three and they can't make it. Like if Oregon hits 12 threes for the game, if they're 12 for 18, something ridiculous, let's just, you know, and Carolina's like three for 21, then they're probably more than likely going to lose that game. But if just like in the Kentucky game, if they can keep the threes like, you know, nine to six, then Carolina's offensive rebounding and, like you said, their you know likelihood to get to the free throw more times will be enough to overcome the advantage that Oregon, a small advantage Oregon may get on the three point line that way. So that if you're a Carolina fan, that's what you basically look for: the margin of the three pointers. If if it's a game where the other team is just lights out and Carolina can't make one or get enough inside and ones to kind of keep up and negate the three pointers. It could be a long Saturday evening for the baby blue. So at this point, we'll wrap up with the college basketball talk with some of the end of the year awards. Like uh, uh, Tyler was saying earlier, uh, Mr. Frank Mason III of Kansas was named. He was also on the first team uh, AP All-American team. And I'll let Tyler uh, give the rest of the AP teams first, second, and third. Okay. Uh, The first team and. Uh, first team should come as no shock. Uh, you got you got uh, highlighted by Mason and uh, UCLA point guard Lonzo Ball, who I feel is I've already said I feel that he is the best player in the country. Um, I don't think there are any other uh, any other shockers as far as your selections, but uh, Josh Hart out of Villanova, the mainstay, um, Caleb Swanigan from Purdue, and Justin, and uh, the first team is rounded out by uh, by Justin Jackson. Um, as we go to the second team, I already mentioned Malik Monk, but uh, Nigel Williams-Goss also made the second team, Luke Kennard from Duke, Dylan Brooks of Oregon, and Jonathan Motley of Baylor. Third team, Jax, Josh Jackson from Kansas, uh, of course, the other possible number one pick, Markel Fultz uh, for Washington. No surprise here, Bonzi Colson and Ethan Happ from Notre Dame and Wisconsin, respectively. And Laurie uh, Markinen from Arizona uh, rounds out the third team. Um, I just have one little anecdote. Obviously, if Alonzo Trier does not get suspended for uh, use of a banned substance, he would definitely have made the third team. He's that good. Um, Trio was the post. Trio was the most effective player of the season for Arizona, hands down. Just when he came back and worked his way into the offense, he, he's he was good. He is really good. He's he is a he is Sean Elliott reborn, and I'm very serious about that. I, I like him that much. Um, I didn't see any other um, no real surprises. I I, I um. Uh, Jonathan Motley of Baylor is is a real surprise. Um, uh, people are really going to start to know him now, which is good. Uh, De'Aaron Fox not making an All-American team is an eyebrow opener. Uh, maybe because he wa- he wasn't consistent. It took him a little time to, to start off uh, this year. He started off a little slow um, as Monk and Sco were kind of making the Kentucky highlights. Monk had some, several highlight plays 
uh, during the early part of the season and early part of conference season. But Fox took over when it mattered. Fox took over in the SEC championship, uh, the last the two games of the tournament. He definitely shined during this run of the NCAA tournament, uh, where definitely he was the best player on the floor in their in their uh, three game. Well, in their four games, he was the best player on the floor. So surprised that he didn't get enough votes to be uh, all American. But um, I, I, you know, Frank Mason, you know, had a great season. No, uh, and he's the senior guy, and I think that's why. Uh, he was able to carry a lot of the votes because he was the senior that everybody knew. And I think that Lonzo Ball kind of suffered because of the media circus that his father has played a part in, played a major part in. And I think that that took some slight from the voters against Ball. Um, but hands hands down, uh, you got Ball, you got Markel Fultz, you got... Uh, by the way, folks, folks made third team All America on a team that won nine games. And I'm just, I'm gonna just leave it alone at that. <laughs> now you can also be an All American here at CSPN if you sponsor and help read by using our sponsors. All you have to do is click on our website www.cspn.us. There is a tab there that says support the podcast, support the sponsors. Click on that. Go down to Amazon. Do your shopping as you normally would. Buy whatever you'd like to buy. Mother's Day is coming up. Easter's coming up. Be ahead of the game. Get the new, um, you know, ties. Get your mom something for Mother's Day. Don't wait till the last minute. Do it through Amazon, through CSPN.us. Some of that comes back to us here upon the network. Keep all the podcasts free so you can hear us do our thing every week. So please support CSPN.us and shop at Amazon while you do so. Then we got to move on to the guys who get paid from Paid to play, the guys who make the big bucks, the NBA. We're coming down to the home stretch of the season and the Cleveland Cavaliers. The check oil light is on. They're leaking on a little bit here. They're struggling. They've uh, lost, I think, like six or seven games here in a row. They've lost uh, first place in the East. LeBron has kind of cracked the whip. The guys haven't responded. We've got, you know, they're trying to get some players back from injury. It wouldn't been Cal Corver just, you know, got out of the lineup due to injury. So things are a mess right now for Cleveland as they head towards the end of the season. Is it a problem if they have to um, make this playoff run from the second seed this year, by the way, that, you know, this season? Uh, uh, it's really, I'm going to take the, I'm going to take the two word answer. It's, it's, it's no, obviously. Uh, I think that the, the East is is still a lot of rhetoric. I think Cleveland still has to Cleveland will have to work, but they have the best player. And bottom line, the their best player is better than the other two teams that have a remote chance. Their best players. LeBron James is better than John Wall. LeBron James is better than Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas might be the best four quarter player in the I'm... league, but no, I can't see <laughs> Cleveland I can't see Cleveland in a seven game format losing to either one of their two teams. And that's that's my reason, because they still have the best player in the game. And Here's my only thing that I want to pose to you that time. Okay. If Cleveland remains in second place, and that's a big if, there's still like eight games to go, then that means that to get to the finals, they're going to have to play the Wizards and the Celtics back-to-back. I, 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 still, I still say, and I know, they have to go on the road. 
My thing is, can Cleveland win on the road? Yes. I don't believe in, and, and I'm a Wizards fan, I do not believe that the, the Wizards have to actually do this because this is one of, the, one of those they have not been there before. And Cleveland has. That's, that actually does make a difference. I think that the, the playoff experience does matter. I think that the individual matchups do matter too. And at the end of the day, it's still going to be a seven-game series, and I think Cleveland's just going to win four before right. the Wizards do. Okay. Because, by the way, Boston, out of those three teams, Boston is the best defending team, but they got a great disadvantage because their best player is their worst defender in, in Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas can't guard anybody. Neither can Kyrie Irving, but Kyrie Irving is, is 6'3". His name's 5'9". The individual matchup is, is still going to cancel each other out, which still leaves an advantage to Cleveland. Cleveland and Boston, my problem is with Boston in beating Cleveland is that they're going to ask a lot from their second strength, their second tier of guys that, you know, their second tier of starters have to play at a high level to be Cleveland. That's mm-hmm. just the way it is. Same thing with Washington. Bradley Beal, Bradley Beal got to show up. Bradley Beal show up four times in a series is a lot. Uh, you know, John Wall, John Wall's going to be there. I, I agree with that. John Wall can now play Kyrie Irving. Bradley Beal got to show up. Marcin Gortat has to be dominant. So many, there are so many factors in those other two teams even in a, even as even at home court, that I still think that Cleveland Cleveland has to be. It's like the it's like that 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 enemy that hard enemy. He's not dead until he closes his eyes. That's how I feel about Cleveland. Gotcha, gotcha. We'll move on to tightly contested race. Who do you think is going to be the MVP? We've got Russell Westbrook doing phenomenal things, Mister Triple Double. You've got James Harden, miraculous things, almost averaging a triple-double, has his team sitting third comfortably in the West right now. You have probably maybe like one of the most improved players like two years in a row, Kawhi Leonard, and the things that he's doing for the Spurs this year. He's elevated his game once again. And then, of course, the over-reliable LeBron James as your fourth candidate this year as the guys who are you know at the top of the list in everybody's mind for MVP this year. As you look at the numbers and you look at the teams around the individual players, who do you think is worthy of the MVP this year, Tom? I, I'm going to, first of all, stick to my guns. I was on record day one of the season saying that Russell Westbrook would not win MVP unless his team gets the fourth seed or better. And it turns out he is. they are dangerously close to – they have an outside shot. I don't want to say dangerously close, but they have an outside shot of getting that fourth seed, which would be – remarkable because that team is their team without Kevin Durant technically is much worse than it was last year. And for them to be at this same, at this particular level without, without a Durant, without a, a consistent second, second score, you, I I am almost reconsidering my, my vote. If I had one, Uh, I would definitely give it to James Harden because the, the Rockets are a better team. And generally, the vote goes to the best player on the bet on the best team, um, in between the MVP race. Um, I think that I think that Russ has proved his value. I think Russ is more. I think Russ is more. But valuable. see, if, but see, you almost said it. If Russ is more valuable, if you feel that Russ is more valuable to his team 
then Harden can give him the award. And that should be the, and that's how people should go to me in my process of thinking. That's how you should go and do it. If I take Russell Westbrook off of, of uh, Oklahoma City, it's not even close. It's not even close. Where are they at? Compared to, they're not a player. Right. Compared to if I take James Harden off of Houston, where are they at? Or if I take James Harden and put him on Oklahoma City, are they where they are now and vice versa? If I put Westbrook on Houston, you know, you kind of have to look at it like, you know, either remove them or change places and kind of what do you think about the situations then to make go. your decision more clear? Here you go. Russell's the better defender. That's it. You give it, you give it. <laughs> In a straight up swap, you give it to Russell because Russell's the better on ball defender. So right. uh, I'll go with I'll go with Russ. I, I will. Yeah. I was. I said he wouldn't win it unless they do it. If they get that four seed, he gets my vote. If they yeah, do I, not, if they don't get home court, I may consider Harden. But I'm on I, record. I was backing up what I what I predicted earlier in the season by saying Russ won't win unless they get the fourth seed. I'm really leaning towards Russ. I mean, especially kind of this week that he's had. Mm-hmm. Where they've had two huge comebacks and he's had two huge games to make it happen. It's like he's almost trying to show everybody, like, yo, <laughs> if you really think I was mad this year, take this award away from me and watch what I do next year. Because, I mean, he's putting it all on display this year. I mean, I think he had, what, a 57 point triple double against Orlando the other night? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he fired us in the game of the overtime. Yeah. And, oh, by James. the way, um, it's funny how people people try to analyze the metrics of it. Um, without Durant, he literally has the same number of assists he had last year, which is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that team, that team mean, is Jesus. That team is not. It's so much worse than what that team is. So much worse than than without him. Than, than, than with him. And it, it golly. Look at how this will be a season that people will look back on in three years when they just go back and they're removed from all the inertia of the actual season that we're in right now and all the moving parts of how everything changes week to week in the NBA. Uh, Like in two years, when you just look at this on paper and see, you know, just the 27, the 11, and the 11 or 12 that he's getting in the rebounding categories. Then it will like hit people, and if he doesn't win the MVP, then they'll kind of shake their head and go, "You know what? He should have got the MVP." I think that's how it's going to come down on people. Well, well the precedent, a precedent has already been established because what's the name? Uh, he did it. Had another seat the second season, which the Big O did it. He didn't win it. Right, right. No. Strange things can happen. Strange things can happen. Um, finally, on some good news. Or maybe if you're the other teams in the West and the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, some bad news. Kevin Durant looks to be on track. He looks to be a little bit ahead of schedule. Um, sounds like what I um, was, you know, saying the best case scenario for them on the last show, where he gets to play like the last three games, is exactly what they're aiming for. Um, he seems to be responding good to the treatment. Um, he's doing non-contact drills, and they say that he's expected to ramp up his workouts and. Um, try to get into some contact practices here in the next week to uh, 10 days. So it looks like Kevin Durant is going to into the mix as the Warriors have gone on an eight-game winning streak. As last night, uh, they 
came back from getting blitzed in the first quarter by San Antonio Spurs. They were down huge, like something like twenty-seven to three at one point. I think I saw twenty-four to three or something like that. But they stormed all the way back, get down by two points at halftime, and then overtook the Spurs in the third quarter and won by twelve. So it looks like they were hitting their stride here, right when KD is getting announced that he's getting ready to come back. So are the Warriors poised now to be the threat that we all thought they were now because now their bench has confidence and, and more playing time and everybody now has a, a much greater role and maybe Kevin Durant doesn't have to do as much as he was doing before on offense, just maybe concentrate on doing what he was doing on defense as he is leading the team in block shots and rebounds. Well, as long as they don't have to see the, uh, as long as they don't have to play the Houston Rockets, I'm fine with that. I'm 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 okay with penciling uh, um, the Warriors into the finals simply because you don't. There's no other team that matches up with them weapon for weapon. Uh, Kawhi can't stop everybody as far as the Spurs go. The Spurs would have to get would have to play perfect basketball for four quarters, not one. And over the course of a four game series, no. Nah. Uh, they, they, uh, the Warriors are now to win the Western Conference. Before we move on, to be to be honest, um, I know that sounds really simple—a simple breakdown. But um, <laughs> I do believe in bottom lines. Um, I think that even if the Rockets can somehow upset the Spurs in in a semifinal matchup, the Warriors are still a much better team defensively than the Rockets. So uh, so I'm still I'm not worried about a seven game series for the if I'm the Warriors, I try to win as many games as possible. Um so I can guarantee the, the number one seed. Then I can t- I can play Durant. Uh you know, I can limit Durant's minutes if let's say I'm up two oh in the first round. Then I can work Durant in as much and still rest him as much as possible. So mm-hmm. then he can gear up for whoever's coming in the semifinals. And then, of course, and then of course, whoever you see in the West Finals, he'll be fully ready by the end. I want to pick your brain on one matchup that I'm kind of intrigued by, and that's going to be the 4-5 matchup where it looks like it's going to be the Clippers and the Utah Jazz. Ooh, yeah, that's fun. Um, Is this going to be maybe the year where Doc Rivers gets exposed for not being a great GM because – the Clippers, I mean, I mean, not the Clippers. The Jazz have like the same positions that the um, Clippers do. So this matchup is going to be like strength on strength. I'm gonna do like like the I would do like uh, like the like on Twitter. The gag is well, in this case, the gag is Doc Rivers has already been exposed as a bad GM because because Blake Griffith, it Blake Griffith is not dominating anymore. Um, they still have not figured out the small forward position. Um, I'm to the point, it's getting to the point now where they should go ahead and go maximum offense and start Jamal Crawford at the three. I mean, it's that bad. It, it really is that bad. And I think Utah can take them. I think they can steal a game from them because Rodney Hood, all Rodney Hood has got to do is get hot for one game. They got Hayward. They got two of the, be- they got two of the best on-ball defenders in the league in the Stifle Tower. And Gordon Haywood, surprisingly, is a very good defender. Um, there, I don't see anybody on the floor on the Clippers that can dump, that can take over a game. 
I mean, can Chris Ball be old Chris Ball? I don't know. So, I, but think about Utah. Utah is doing this without Dante Exum. Just wait till next year when they get Dante Exum back. That team is scary. No, they're very scary. They're very scary. Who would have thought Quinn Snyder would have been a heck of an NBA coach? Isn't that wild? We thought he was. Yeah. Gonna this. We thought he was going to be on his way to, way way out of coaching when uh, that disaster handling that disaster at Missouri. Man, I laughed and my jaw hit the ground when he was up for the Hornets job with Michael Jordan before he hired Steve Clifford. He was like, yeah, my last two people were Quinn Snyder and Steve Clifford. I was like, Quinn Snyder? What the heck did he pull him out of the ashes from? But got over to Utah, got the job, and, and now they're, you know, like I said, they're very competitive. They, they play a fun style of basketball. They're highly slept on because, of course, they play out in the mountains. They play zone and they're Utah, so nobody is really looking for them. But yeah, they're gonna see up on some teams, and the Clippers may be the first one. They play that Duke motion style offense, but they have a seven foot center who who erases everything on defense. So they can get up and down the court, and Gobert actually runs the floor well too. So he's not he's not a, a, a just a defensive stiff. He can uh, he can finish. He actually is developing a post move. So I, I really think that that team, when they get Exum back next year, uh, you might be able to pencil them in in the top in that in that fourth spot next year, and be a real problem for a team like the Warriors because they're going to have to be because the Warriors don't like physical teams and the and the Jazz are very physical. So I'm, I'm if they steal this first round matchup, they're playing with house money because next year is their year for uh, Utah. Just a reminder that you are listening to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, for this show. I'm joined by my man, Tyler Ball. And now we're going to move into a little NFL. As this week, the Oakland Raiders said they were going to get the moving trucks and they were going to head east. They were going to go to Las Vegas, starting in more than likely, hopefully for them, 2019. Most likely that'll be 2020. Yeah, the stadium, yeah, more than likely twenty twenty. Yeah, they're, they're probably going to have the stadium finished in the uh, the winter of twenty nineteen. But uh, here's the thing with with the move. Um, of course, this flies in the face of all the traditional optics of the NFL, all the PR optics. Which I mean, I love to have a PR drop for the NFL right now because I am I am practicing every bit of spin cycling, every bit of. They, uh, they, they would require the best of me right now because you're moving into a place where you hate to be. Um, the the NFL it has been a staunch advocate of anti-gambling. And to move into the birthplace is like putting a, putting a piece of a slab of meat in the lion's den. Um, I think that Roger Goodell kind of has to fade away, fade this issue as much as he can, not put it out to the forefront that, hey, we're in Vegas. I think what he has to do is play it really, really cool with the industry, particularly fantasy football. Um, You know, say that we're here, but at the same time, we're going to monitor all facets of the NFL, which secretly includes players and their relationships with Vegas. Um, I'm sure they're going to hire a lot more security to do background checks on players and pretty much follow them wherever they go, especially when they go into Vegas. Now, 
that's the administration front office side, team side. Uh, it's going to be a terrible three years for the next three years in Oakland. Um, well, at least next year, Oakland's going to be bad. You think it's bad enough when, when you go into the house of the black hole? The black hole, it figures out, well, the black hole knows that they're going to lose their team. They may say that they love the play. The fans may say that they love the players. I believe there are going to be some boos. There are going to be some just some, some ugly remarks in the media, in the press. There are going to be some angry former season ticket holders uh, because, quite honestly, um, Mark Davis felt, Mark Davis pretty much played the indifferent role in saying that he tried to do all that he could to move that t- to keep that team in Oakland. Nobody thinks so. Uh, Mark, Mark, Mark Davis has actually spent more time in Los Angeles than he did in Oakland the past three years. Um, the Oakland fans have ready themselves for, for the team leaving, but their, their feelings are going to be known over the next, if not two or three, when they, um, when they actually leave. There, there's talk about them playing in, in San Antonio, maybe even, uh, uh, maybe even Mexico City been kind of talked about for 2019 so it's gonna be a rough year fortunately the team is good so they're gonna win some games so maybe uh, who knows maybe they'll luck up and and be really really good and get make it to take them to the super bowl man why not go out on the go out on the shield as al davis would say wouldn't it wouldn't it be hilarious if davis actually davis is uh what he said in his press conference would come to true. Would come true if he actually brought a championship to the Bay before they left. Yeah, that would, would be wild. <laughs> Probably. I don't know about all be forgiven, but Davis threw one hell of a party. This is true. Um, my thing that I'm looking at is I don't know if you're a team. I know if you're an owner of a team, it's going to be great because you know you have all these people coming from all everywhere to Vegas and. Okay, there's a football game going on as one of the other of, you know, one million and one things to do. As a team, though, I don't know if they're going to ever have a home field advantage because, hey, my team's playing in Vegas. Let's go watch them play in Vegas. Who they playing? The Raiders, so who cares? Here's the thing. You're going to Vegas to watch, you know, so you're going to have like eight neutral games at best. Well, let's add to the fact that. Um, in rel- in in the relative conversation, Las Vegas is lit- is the fortieth biggest market in the United States, a very small in relative terms media market. Birmingham is a bigger media market than Vegas. Okay, so are you worried about every game being a neutral game going to develop a home fan base? Because you're at- you're really selling. People taking night or whatever it is, the uh, bus ride, not five hour flight, but five hour bus ride to Vegas. Right, four, four hours in your car, an hour to fly. Yeah, you're you're hoping that you're gonna fill the stadium at least the first year or first five years, or whatever, from people who are fans of the Raiders from Los Angeles, Oakland, and surrounding areas. Within a, you know, we wake up at you know four a.m. and get there at ten a.m. type of transportation commute to Las Vegas and the visiting team having a swarm of their people coming to, you know, conclude their Vegas weekend with the football game. It's, it's, so it's going to be very interesting. It's going to probably look like a soccer game at those football games. And, <laughs> you know, just, everybody gets dispersed. 
it actually really might look like a soccer game because they've actually talked about UNLV being an option too. That's a, that's about a thirty some step that thirty thousand seat stadium. So yeah, it will look like a soccer match. <laughs> so that just continues another trend in the NFL uh, here, where the third team has moved, um, uprooted uh, traditional teams. At San Diego, of course, lost their team to go to L.A. and St. Louis lost their team as L.A. regained the Rams. And L.A., who was comfortable without having any teams, now has two teams, just like that. It, that's wild. That's but you know what? Um, a this is all the the grandmaster scheme. Dallas owner. This is all to the strength. This is how powerful Jerry Jones he is in the NFL. I mean, I, I think they look at it and say to themselves, "We can't be requiring we have these billions of dollars if we ain't got no team in LA." And, and I think that that was the push. And that, that's essentially, um, I'm on record as saying. I feel that there would be no NFL network if there were not for Jerry Jones. I actually, I think the NFL network is Jerry Jones's baby. Jones has had probably the biggest business hand in the NFL, probably this side of, of uh, Tech Shram and the, uh, as far as influence, because the man is about his money, but I, I give him credit. He knows how to get it done. And this is a major victory for not only him, Owners, and it's also a big victory for the NFL Network because it's a, because it's another market that they can tap in and be, you know, just because it's a showcase. It's you know, it's LA, right? And it's like this. It's like okay, right? It's the, the NFL is basically telling you, okay, we'll give you flyover cities of Green Bay, Kansas City, Jacksonville, Charlotte. And that's pretty much about it. Every place else is pretty huge on the map that they play now that they don't play in Oakland anymore. Oakland would have been that kind of that sixth kind of, if you would want to say, quote unquote, small market team. They don't really have small market teams in the NFL, but, you know, their population isn't as big as Houston, Miami, D.C., Atlanta, New York, Philly, Chicago. I mean, you see what I'm saying? You see how it seems like they're parsing out your flyover places and go into the places with the names. Exactly. Now look at, look at the next, I mean, if they pull off London, oh gosh, this, this, this act, this move to Vegas remarks how big London, a move to London, moving Jacksonville to London is going to be because focus is going to change on getting London because they've accepted another small market. So, um, London is actually one of the top five media markets in the world, um, mm-hmm. which would immediately put them in number, I think, number two in the NFC. <laughs> so, I personally believe that the next target is London, and I think it heightens the importance of the getting the logistics and everything right, because... I think London's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be five years or seven years from now, but I think London is going to happen. All right. Now that concludes another score before we wrap up completely. Tom, kick it over to you. Do you have any last words or any uh, shout outs that you want to give out? So find folks here that are listening. Okay. A um, couple of things. Uh, first of all, as we wrap up the college basketball season, um, 
March Madness is really worth the price of admission. Um, I'm, I'm an advocate. Besides all the, the hypocrisies of college sports, we're really here for the tournaments. We're really here for the championships. I do give the NCAA credit because they run their championships better than almost any organization there is. Uh, there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of buildup. But the NCAA tournament is excitement in its purest form. And I'm always appreciative of the effort that these kids give every year. Um, second thing, uh, congratulations to um, congratulations to our colleague, Tobias Wilborn, uh, because he he has added the Atlanta Braves uh, coverage to his to his uh, many hats. Um, you can check him out. Uh, follow the Atlanta Braves on at in Wilborn 19. Um, he's going to be a correspondent. He's actually going to appear several times on Atlanta television as he talks about the Braves. So shout out to him. Um, he kind of hinted at it while we were at Bourbon Ball, but now it's official. He's made the announcement. So please follow him on N Wilborn 19 on Twitter. Um, and my last thing, uh, you know, I feel that the Colin Kaepernick issue uh, is very interesting to follow. Um, there's a lot of hypocrisy. I feel that's involved. Uh, I know that now he now folks are saying that he's asked. He is projected to be making too much money, which I think that's a total fallacy. Um, I do hope that he gets another shot because it's a, it's totally unfortunate uh what's going on for him right now. Um, for obvious reasons, I want him to be able to, to work and give, in, give him more opportunities to um, spread his calls. Um, it's just an unfortunate situation where um, a lot of people in high positions feel that he is a threat more than the message that he's actually taking a stand for. Okay. Okay. Um, I just like to say to all the baseball fans out there, Opening day is here. It is finally here. And for the first time since 1909, the Chicago Cubs are the defending champions. And so they have a very good shot at repeating as they're going to kick off the season on Sunday night against their arch rivals, the St. Louis. thing about opening day baseball, they played most of the games in the daytime. So everything looks great. The grass is so green. The uniforms are so clean. The bases are so white. And for number nerds like me, fantasy baseball starts again. So, guys, make sure you have strong closers. Make sure you have enough guys who have for power average. And make sure you get those sneaky points, the stolen bases, and the holes. And that will make sure that you have a chance to go deep in your fantasy baseball playoffs. Watch your rookies. Uh, Yes, that too. And midseason call-ups. Mm-hmm. So, for Tyler, I'm Don DeLorente. And now, you know the score. That's a wrap.